Hi everyone, Matt here. I'm very excited about this episode because today my guest is Kendra Perry. Kendra is a multiple six-figure functional health coach. She's on a mission to stop health coaches from being broke by helping them to build booming businesses they are in love with. She has currently had hundreds of health coaches grow their practices, attract consistent clients and blow up their bank accounts. She is the creator of the, group, the groundbreaking Health Coach Accelerator Method and the Group Program Academy, which teaches coaches to scale their income and impact with online group coaching programs. Kendra, I am super excited. You have an extraordinary story and I can't wait to dive in today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No worries. So I read about a little bit about your story and, and everything, and I want to know about your beginnings as a kid sure. what was the life for you as a kid when you were growing up well I grew up in a pretty like rural community like we didn't even have like a downtown it was just like a county but um it was in eastern Canada in Ottawa and so I actually grew up right on the beach on the Ottawa river which was about a mile across so it was kind of a bit more like a lake and my family was very outdoorsy. So I grew up skiing and canoeing and we were always outdoors. So I actually had a pretty charmed childhood and very lucky. My summers were spent, you know, swimming and building forts and playing kick the bucket with like all the neighborhood kids. And um, yeah, I think at the time I didn't maybe appreciate it because I think when you're young, you just think it's normal <laughs> to like have that kind of upbringing. But looking back, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and grateful that I got to have um that upbringing and just access to the outdoors like I did yeah yeah I resonate so much with that because I was playing farms and you know fishing and you know mountain biking so it's, it's really the best way to to grow up particularly if you Absolutely. are in a beautiful country like yours and so <laughs> yes and so did you study at, at the time what, what, what was your uh, your original path I guess you wasn't already mm. wanted to be an entrepreneur from the beginning right yeah. So I kind of think I was always meant for entrepreneurship, but you know, it's not really presented as an option when you're in high school. Um, no one really talks about it, especially back in like the nineties and like early two thousands. But I remember being in like whatever the career class was and everyone's like choosing their careers. And I just felt depressed about it because mm -hmm. I hated the Monday to Friday schedule. Mm -hmm. I thought it was exhausting. I didn't think it allowed for like enough fun and time off. And I was like, so I'm going to go to school so I can get a job and just do this for the rest of my life. And I just kind of felt like there must be something more than this, but I obviously didn't know what it was. So um, I tried originally to go to university for outdoor pursuits, which is essentially an outdoors program um, in Calgary. But then they ended up canceling the program right before I was supposed to enroll, which was like pretty devastating. It was me essentially trying to like going to school and not go to school <laughs> at the same time, like do something that was like not really school, but I ended up in kinesiology and I kind of thought maybe I'd get into like sports medicine or sports nutrition or something along those lines, but I just wasn't into it. And so I dropped out and then I went back and I ended up in environmental science for a while. And like, honestly, in university, like I wasn't very engaged. I mostly just partied. I had a good time. I didn't really go to class. Like I did quite well in university because I'm good at memorizing and like cramming, but you know, I didn't really get a lot out of it. And in the end, I think I just ended up uh, graduating with a, maybe an environmental geography degree. I ended up just kind of dropping down just so I could get done with it. Cause I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I had no career aspirations. I had no idea what I was doing. 
But in the middle of university after, cause I'd, I'd come from this very small town. And as soon as I graduated, I wanted out and I wanted to move to a city cause I'd never lived in a city. So I moved across the country when I was 19 to go to Calgary. And I was so excited to live in the city. Um, but my first summer there, I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Like it's boring. There's nothing to do. There's no lake, there's no mountains. So I started um, going tree planting. My second summer there, I got a job in Northern British Columbia planting trees, which essentially you get paid like 15 cents, somewhere between like 10 and maybe 25 cents mm-hmm. per tree. And yeah. it's piecework. It's very physical, um, but I never made money like that before. You know, I was making like 200, $300 a day. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And so I started doing that every summer. A lot of trees. It's a lot of trees. Yeah, it's a lot of trees. Sometimes I planted over 2,000 trees a day. It was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, totally crazy. But I loved it because you would work super hard, eat so much food because you were burning so many calories. Mm. Like my lunch was the size of a small child. Um, but then on the weekend you go party and just like buy things. And it just, you know, it was, it was fun. It was fun at that age. Right. Um, and so when I graduated university, I ended up going into forestry. Um, and so I started, um, doing firefighting. I did fire, uh, wildland firefighting. So fighting, um, wildfires wow. and I did surveys and I ended up working for uh, logging companies and designing their clear cuts and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it wasn't really the path entrepreneurship wasn't even on my radar at that point. I was essentially just trying to do work outdoors because I liked being outside. Yeah. And how was that, you know, working up as a firefighter? That would have been like bloody hard work, right? Or was, um, you know, you had any, any particular episode or risking your life, jumping in, you know, something dangerous? So it's not as exciting as it sounds. It sounds really badass, but it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And, um, I fire fought two summers that were quite slow and it's very different. Like if people listening are in the U S it's actually a lot riskier to fight fires in the U S because I think there might be a little bit of a different attitude, but also there's a lot more people, yeah. right? It's a lot more serious to try to fight fires that are going to burn down homes and, and kill people. Right. In Canada, we're obviously a lot more spread out. And the way in which the government works here is they don't risk lives to put out fire. So they never put firefighters in front of the fire. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think there's ever been a crew death in, in British Columbia ever in history, whereas in the US, there's been quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never was in any sketchy situations, but I got to do a lot of like interesting trips and I went to cool places and I saw some really beautiful places. But ultimately, I actually found it pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I did a lot of helicopter work. I, you know, I dangled from helicopters and, you know, got put into cool, like remote places. But um, if it was more of that, I would have been really into it. But it's a lot of being on base and like mm-hmm. waiting for stuff to happen and, you know, waiting for the whole bureaucratic process of government, essentially. Yeah. And so what happened next? What was the next phase for you? So... I was doing this. So this is a seasonal job, right? So I was working essentially around six months out of the year. And then you get laid off for winter, which in a ski town is fantastic because you collect unemployment and you ski every day. And I loved that. (laughs) That was so much fun for me. And so I was skiing about a hundred, 120 days out of the year. I was literally just like living at the ski hill, doing lots of backcountry ski touring and just really just kind of living it up. And the town that I live in now, I moved here in 2010. And in 2011, I got a pass at the ski hill. 
And one day this guy came up to me and he says, Hey, I'm a ski photographer and you're a great skier. Like, do you want to be in photos and movies? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, let and me I think suddenly, about it. Let, have, have a think about it. <laughs> yeah, it was like a hard yes. And I had this kind of vision of traveling the world and getting paid to ski and living this like glamorous lifestyle. And I thought it was going to be amazing. So I started shooting with this photographer and a bunch of different photographers and pretty much anyone who would take me. And at the end of that winter, when I was just kind of skiing one day, I decided to jump off this cliff and I ended up um, injuring my knee. And I was alone at the time. And I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. And in high school, I competed in mogul skiing. So I've, I have a strong foundation of skiing. So I actually skied down on one ski. I was going to say like that I, I, I think I read somewhere that you were actually competing back in the days. Yeah. 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 I skied for the Ontario mogul team and competed nationally. And I actually skied internationally as well. I used to do half pipe and big air comps. This is like way back when the skill level was, was quite a lot lower. So it sounds really badass, but it's not like what people do today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did come third in a junior world's competition for half pipe wow. for skis, yeah. not snowboards. So, but yeah, again, the skill level was quite a bit lower. You can probably find that run on Sportsnet, and it's not, yeah. it does not even come close to the stuff that people are doing today. Yeah, and these days yeah. insane. Yeah. It's so insane. <laughs> I could never be a skier these days, but yeah, I was lucky to have that background in, in skiing because I was alone and I just skied down on one leg and I was like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd hurt my knee in the past. I didn't think it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I flew to Thailand two days later and thought it would be fine. And I ended up just hobbling. My friend had to basically carry me around Thailand because I just really couldn't walk. And then when I got back to home two days later, I had to do my fit test for firefighting. So I like wrapped up this knee and passed the fit test. And then I worked on it all summer um, and I had rehabbed it fairly well. So I kind of thought it was fine. But when I tried to ski the next year, I could just feel that it was loose, like something was off. And so I ended up seeing a surgeon and he ended up telling me that I needed uh, reconstructive knee surgery for my ACL, which as a skier is like the worst injury you can get for knee injuries. Cause you just, you just can't ski. Right. And it has a fairly long recovery, mm -hmm. especially to get back into skiing. So it was very much a moment where I was like, Oh crap. Like I'm not going to be a skier, at least not for a long time. And I couldn't do my summer job either. Right. Like it's a very physical job. I needed my knee to move around. So I knew I was going to be off work for a while. So I ended up getting the reconstructive surgery and then I ended up on medical unemployment for about a year. And it was like super sad, depressing time mm. because my whole identity was tied up into be, being a skier because mm. I had been a skier my entire life and I couldn't work and I was single and like, I couldn't drive my car because I couldn't push the clutch. And I was just like, so... <laughs> I was super low and I was really bored too. So what I ended up doing, because at the time I was very interested in health and wellness, I'd actually had a lot of health issues that kind of came about after that surgery. And so I was becoming very interested in natural health, alternative wellness. And so I started a health blog just for something to do. And I posted articles like every single day for that entire year. Mm -hmm. And this would have been 2012 when blogging was kind of a thing, like people were making money as bloggers. So I kind of had the idea that I would make money as a blogger, but I never really quite figured that out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, 
I actually had another another guest that was very similar to you. You know, she had an accident mm-hmm. skiing and she said deep depression straight after, like, you know, it was really, really bad. And mm-hmm. what um do you think uh, with, with that accident, like you could have managed differently the, the situation, like with the with the knee, if you manage like the recovery and you know the, the rehab differently, do you think you could have been managing that like not needing the, the surgery? Yeah. So I think if I wasn't a skier, I probably, if I was just like someone who lived in the city who liked to go to the gym and like, was like casually, you know, active, I probably wouldn't have needed surgery, but as a skier, I, I needed the surgery. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cause I just, the knee was way too loose and like, I ski pretty hard. So I wanted to be able to ski like I could again. And so uh, the surgery was necessary for me if I wanted to ski, but it was nice that it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't have a job to go back to because I committed myself to that rehab. Mm -hmm. I did it every day. I fully committed to it. It's like for two hours a day, I was doing all the things. And I think that was really good because I've never had any issues with it since I have an incredibly strong knee now. And it, I don't even remember that I have that injury anymore. So I think it was definitely a blessing that I was able to uh, focus all my time and efforts on the rehab. Yeah. Yeah. And so what year was this? That would have been 2012. 2012, because I know that in yeah. 2014 is when you started your journey with online business, right? Yeah. So what was the trigger to you that, you know, got you to think about this idea of creating your own and, you know, uh, becoming an entrepreneur, really? Yeah. So after I just, you know, I tried to make money as a blogger and probably made like $5 total on like Google AdSense or something like that, like just... I had no idea how to monetize a blog. I was still thinking, well, maybe there's a way that I can make money on the internet. And one day I was listening to this podcast and there was a man on who ran a health certification program. And he was saying, anyone can get certified and do this as a job and they can run a business online. And I had this epiphany moment where I was just like, oh my God, like I could be a health coach and I could do this online, which I can totally do with where my body is at right now. And It's also going to allow me to do a job that I feel passionate about because that's always been my thing. I've never been interested in having a career I hated, even if it made me all the money in the world. And that's why I ended up in forestry because I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to be a health coach. So what I ended up doing is signing up for that certification program, which took me about a year to complete. Um, And I completed it at the end of 2013. And then I was kind of in this situation because I'd been laid off from my most recent forestry contact contract. Cause by then I was kind of back to doing some like light work around the bush and I was collecting my unemployment checks, which I think paid me about $1,600 a month. So I didn't know how I was going to make the jump from getting $1,600 every month to making that myself, right? Because you can't make your own money and collect unemployment. Right. And so that was really tough for me. And so I kind of hung out about six, seven months in limbo. Like I was scared. I didn't know when was the right time to take the step. And what ended up happening was that certification program that I'd done my training through offered me a position as a course mentor because I'd done so well in the program. So I started contracting for them part-time, which was perfect because it actually paid me more than my full-time forestry job. So I was able to get that part-time work, which paid the bills and allowed me to build my business part-time. Wow, that's a good that's a good transition. Now, 
The one of the things that we're very curious about in these interviews, uh, because the, the name of the episode is the story behind the story. Because mm. a lot of the people in the audience are trying to start a business, they're struggling, they're going through pain, frustration, they're thinking, you know what, I'm gonna give up. This is too hard. Um, and I read on your website that you said that when you started, it wasn't all beautiful, you know, amazing, like starting like a rocket. There was some there was some drama happening at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then in 2017 is when you hit your, uh, you know, transform your business in multiple six figures. So I'm mm-hmm. very, very curious to know what happened in between. <laughs> yeah. So I would say it was a lot of trial and error. Cause like at that point I had pretty limited online skills. I'd never been into computers at that point. Like I knew how to do a basic internet search and use Facebook. Like, that was it. So there was a lot of technical skills that I had to learn. And I'm also very stubborn and I'm, this is definitely one of my shadow sides. I'm very committed to being a lone ranger and it doesn't always serve me. And it didn't serve me in that because I was just was so committed to figuring it out on my own. And I didn't want to invest in help. And it wasn't necessarily because of the money. I think I could have, you know, figured out a way to get the money, but it was more of this, like, I don't need help. I can do it myself sort of mentality. And so that did not serve me well, because I was just, you know, I was just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it would stick. And I, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to go this direction. No, I'm going to go this direction, this direction. And I was just kind of all over the place. But the one thing that did serve me well is I just kept trying things, right? I wasn't afraid. I never got caught up in like mindset blocks or fear. I just literally kept trying things until certain things worked. But what was interesting is at about two and a half years, I finally was like, okay, I think I need to invest in a coach. I think I need some guidance. And I remember it was a $4,000 investment and that felt crazy. I'd been doing okay at that point. You know, I'd been getting clients, so it wasn't too crazy, but it felt like a lot of money. And I remember just, you know, pressing that purchase button and just being like, I hope I don't regret this. And I didn't. Uh, This woman helped me so much. She helped me get my email list started. Uh, She helped me start developing my first course, running ads, all of those things. And about six months later, I had my first 10K month. And then I just started making that consistently. So I think mentorship is a really important thing uh, for new business owners, unless you have some sort of pre-existing skill that's going to help you do it without mentorship, because there's just a lot of things to learn. Absolutely. And I think one of the problems that a lot of people face, we face that ourselves, there are so many coaches out there that promise a lot that they don't deliver. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. great that you, you know, you found someone that could genuinely help you and really deliver your results. But there are a lot of people that get mm-hmm. burned out. They spend the money, they make the investment, nothing. Maybe they also put the, the, the effort because as we know, a coach, can help you as much as you want, but if you don't put the effort, nothing's going to happen. Um, what is, in your opinion, some of the things that people need to look at when choosing a coach? What are the, the, the things that they should consider? Because so many people, you know, waste so much money in coaches and, and, um, and, not, and they don't get the results because sometimes they find the wrong person. So what would you look at when you look for a coach? Yeah, I would say the first thing to consider, there's a couple things, but the first thing would be to look at yourself and make sure that you're ready to commit and do the work. Because like you said, 
so much of it is out of the coach's control and it's up to you to do the work. So, you know, make sure you're in a place of I'm committed and I'm also responsible, right? Because if you are not responsible for your experience and your business, no one can help you. Right. Um, so that's one thing, but I would say the other thing is choose a coach who has the type of business that you want and is living the type of lifestyle that you want. Right. And so, you know, this is a big reason why I like, I help health coaches, right. Because it's, it's a bit different than other industries, right. It's different than other types of coaches. It's different than other types of online businesses. There's nuances, right. And so me personally, like I understand what it's like to work with health coaching clients and to sell something like health, which is really different than selling something like business. Right. I also understand what it is to, if you're running lab tests and what that might look like in a program and your offering. So I think it's important to look for someone who is doing what you want to do and is preaching is essentially like living the life that they preach on their social media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What do you think during this journey, you know, starting from 2014, are some of the biggest mistakes that you made that are looking back, you were like, geez, that was, wow, <laughs> big mistakes that I made, or, you know, some of the biggest pain that you had to go through as well. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I made was I resisted niching for so long. And, you know, if anyone ever follows me on social media, you'll just hear me like screaming out niching from the hilltops. I'm, I'm really um, <laughs> kind of crazy about it, but it's just because as soon as you do it, it makes everything easier. Not only do you attract people more easier, but it like makes your brain less crazy because now you know what to create in terms of like content program all the things. Right. And so I really resisted that for a reason why I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, resist it, which is, you know, I don't want to limit what I do. I don't want to turn people away. And by doing this, aren't I reducing my client pool? Right. And, and it's, it's really just the opposite of that. Right. When you try to help everyone, you help no one. And so you know, knowing who the person you help is, is really important. And so for me, that was a big part of my struggle early on. And what that coach did was force me to niche, right? And as soon as I niche, suddenly everything was easier and everything started to flow, right? Because I was actually connecting with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a big one. Another big one was pretending to be someone that I wasn't. Mm. I think, when we show up online, you know, we have this idea of who we think people want to see. And if you get to know me in person, like I'm very blunt, I'm like, no BS to the point I'm crass. I swear a lot, you know, I'm not classy, (laughs) but when I was showing up online, I was trying to be this like really professional coach, right. And like talk properly. And I didn't show a lot of emotion. I just wasn't showing those sides of my personality that make me, me. And I think, again, that was a big part of the struggle in the beginning is I just, I wasn't being true to myself. And ultimately I felt like I was living a lie. And at one point I just had to say, screw it and show up and start dropping F-bombs. And, you know, when I I did that originally, people were really surprised (laughs) because they're like, who are you? Like, where did this come from? And so I did get a lot of hate, but then eventually it just kind of weeded out all the people who didn't connect with that. And now I think very quickly, you know, if people don't like swear words, they very quickly realize that I'm not the person for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I resonate a lot with that. Um, maybe because English is not, my, is not my first language. And so for me, when I when I say fuck or this stuff like that, doesn't, 
doesn't sound anything for me. Um, it's just a word. <laughs> it's just a word. It's just it's like just a word. you say a sweating in Italian. It's just a word. Um, what are some of the beliefs, um, Kendra, some of the beliefs that you had to change from when you started your journey to, you know, to when you made the shift? Some of the deep, mm. deep beliefs, you know, in, in your brain that were really stopping you at the beginning. So a big one was thinking that my health needed to be perfect in order to help other people with their health. Because as I told you, after that surgery, um, I ended up going into this deep burnout that lasted seven years. And I was dealing with insomnia and primarily like a deep chronic fatigue. Like I, I was kind of messed up. And so I was dealing with this fatigue as I was building a business and I ended up niching in fatigue. So I had a lot of, I guess, imposter syndrome when it came to that, because I felt like, who am I to tell people I can help them with their fatigue when I'm still tired? You know, I'd made improvements, but I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I really had to kind of get over my shit, right? Because I truly believe that being a leader is just blazing the trail, like one or two steps ahead of the person behind them. And I think having that experience of dealing with fatigue really allowed me to better connect with my people. And a lot of clients would say, you know, I, I like you because you're real and you've had, you've been through this, you know? And so you're not like pretending like everything's rainbows and unicorns. Right. Yeah. And so I really had to work through that one. That was a really, really tough one. And I think it's pretty common for, um, health coaches. Cause that's a big reason why people become health coaches, right? Mm -hmm. They have their own health struggle. And so I think a lot of them are feeling like, I need to get my health to this place before I can even start my business. Mm -hmm. So I held myself back a lot because of that. And, and, and they, they can smell it. If you're not real, they can, they can just guess mm -hmm. that, you know, that is something all right in there. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Kendra, is how many times, because I, you must've been thinking about giving up at some stage mm -hmm. and why you didn't. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I wanted to give up yesterday, so it, it still happens <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I'm a very determined person, you know, like I'm incredibly motivated um, and I've been kind of an overachiever my entire life. Right. I was like that with my academics in high school. Um, but for me, I really just didn't have another option because the town that I live in has 10,000 people. There's not a lot of job opportunity. And if I was going to work in forestry here, I would be lucky to make $25 an hour. Right. And that doesn't compare to the cost of living here. It's quite expensive to live here. So I did not want to move to a city. You know, I had my time in the city. It was fun. I was done with it. And I just love this town. You know, I love it here. It's, it's amazing. And I just, I, I was like, I have to figure this out. It's the only option. So I just kind of took giving up off the table. And of course I had those moments. Cause I think we all get there, you know, stuff doesn't go our way or we're frustrated. We're just like, oh, I'm just going to give up, but it's mostly just smoke and mirrors. Right. For, at least for me, it's always been, cause in the end, I'm always just going to figure it out. And that's just kind of how I operate. And, and how do you deal with that, with that emotions when they come up, you know, they, you start to doubt and my, how do you deal with it? Like, how do you get out of that, of the rabbit hole when, when you go down that path? So in the past, I would just push it down and ignore it and pretend it wasn't there. Um, but I have learned a lot about how that doesn't serve me very well, right? Those stuff just gets trapped in your body, keeps coming up. And so last year, 
Um, this time last year, I enrolled in a breathwork facilitator program, mostly just for myself, because I felt like I needed a tool to get more in touch with my body. And I'd sort of experimented with breathwork in 2020 and just thought it was so cool. You know, like it, it feels cool. It was energizing. I love like the kind of high, like tingle feel that you get from it. And it really took me out of my structured mind. And I am someone who lives up here and I need to be more down here. Mm. And so for me, something that has really served me is to allow myself to feel the emotion, right? Because we're human, nothing's perfect. And sometimes, you know, I'm overwhelmed or I'm mad or I'm frustrated and I just try to sit with it and let it be and try to figure out where it actually lives in my body. And usually for me, not always, but usually it's the solar plexus just at the base of my rib cages. And I just try to send love, put my attention there. And then I do the breath work and I, I visualize breathing into that space. Um, and I find doing breath work for even five, 10 minutes is enough to just get me out of my brain and out of that emotion and back into my body where everything is always safe and okay. And so, yeah, I, sometimes when I'm really struggling, I might do like a 10 minute breath work session, like five times a day, just because I got to keep getting back into the body. Yeah, yeah. It's so mm -hmm. true because when, when I go down to that, that, the state for me is like getting outside, moving the body, breathing. It comes mm -hmm. down to yeah. moving the body and breathing. So that mm -hmm. in a way or another really is the same concept. Um, one question I'm very curious to ask you, Kendra, is how would you describe your first three years of your journey in business? And how would you describe this year the, towards the end? Yeah. So, yeah, the first three years, um, I would maybe describe it as like resistance and sticky like nothing flowed. It was like, I was kind of running up against sandpaper. That's kind of what it felt like. Now it flows a lot more. Mm. doesn't always flow. Um, you know, I still have my pain points in business and I found 2021 was an interesting year. It was definitely um, more challenging than I expected in the online world from kind of the, the trickle down from everything that's been happening. Mm. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel like sandpaper anymore. Mm. <laughs> What, what yeah. do you think at the moment is the shift that we're going through? Because a lot has been happening, obviously, with, with all the stuff happening in the world. Do you think, and, and we used to see a lot more ads on YouTube, on Facebook about people saying, hey, here's my program, um, you know, with this 45-minute webinar, we made $50 million, you know, all of this yeah. hacky, sneaky oil thing. Uh, but slowly, slowly, I'm starting to see fading away this, this stuff. Yeah. Do you think it's because people don't buy any money today? Or do you think it's because the compliance from Google, Facebook and this platform? What do you think is happening? I honestly think there's a few things, but I think people are sick of the bullshit, right? And I think we've become very good um, at identifying when we're being sold to and we don't necessarily like it anymore. Mm -hmm. I think people are really sick of like the bro marketing, the clickbait, the bait and switch stuff, right? But, you know, I think in 2020, um, everyone started coming online, right? A lot of people started realizing the possibility of the online world. And I realized it in 2014, but I knew people would figure it out at some point, you know, in 2014, like, I don't think I knew anyone 
in my town who had an online business or worked online. Like everyone was like, Oh, that's so different. Wow. Probably and still now 20, it's still the same. Yeah, no, everyone's just like doing it. Right. And so everyone came online. And then I think a lot of people started pursuing online business. So even though there's more people online, I think there was a huge flood of people trying to start online businesses. And I think up until recently, um, digital marketing has been quite like easy to some degree, like you can get away with a lot of stuff, but I, I think that is less and less true, especially with some of the updates to like paid advertising, you know, iOS updates and all of this stuff. Like it's really changed how people are advertising. And really, I think we're going back to the basics now, you know, the person with the best messaging wins and the person who can connect more deeply with their audience wins. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's so true. Like it's, it's like um, every time Facebook and Google, they, they um they change it's like if they shake a little bit and all of the crap comes off <laughs> yeah go back yeah. to you go back a little bit to to square one what do you think it takes to be successful in this in this business i think one of the biggest things is the mindset honestly like i've i've worked with a lot of coaches and i've seen so many give up who were incredibly talented coaches and who were actually pretty good at the marketing stuff too but mm-hmm. they got in their own way right? They just didn't believe in themselves. They didn't love themselves. Um, They got caught up in imposter syndrome of fear, perfection, like all of these things. And I really think one of the main reasons why I've managed to be successful is because I've not, I've had all the mindset stuff, but I've just done it anyways, right? And some people get blocked by that. And so And what a lot of people don't realize is business is such a huge personal development journey. Like you're just getting triggered all the time. You know, your wounds are getting triggered from childhood and your high school stuff and your insecurities, like it all just comes out. I don't think people are always prepared for that. And I think that's, what's hard about business. I think the actual business stuff, it's just numbers. It's just data. You got to take the emotion out of it and just look at the, the numbers, the data, but it's the mindset stuff that really throws people off because people don't expect it. And you have to be willing to do the inner work and evolve. Otherwise you won't make it. It's so, so true what you just said. I resonate so much with that because, um, you know, that for me has been a big one. And maybe you resonate a little bit with this, but coming from a sport background, in sport, skiing, I come from cycling, triathlon, you put 100, you get 100 back. Kind of straightforward. Business, you need to put 100 to get 100 back, but it's different because you have a lot of other pieces in the puzzle. You have people, the right timing, the right message, the person is not ready yet, the platform. And it can be very frustrating. It really can get to your head because sometimes Mm -hmm. like, geez, this is like, I'm putting so much work and I'm not getting any result, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so many people get deflated with that. So many people are like, you know, I can't have this. I'm just gonna... I'm just going to throw everything. And one of the things that I learned in the last 15 months is it doesn't matter how good your program is. If you don't know how to market yourself, if you don't know how to convert these prospects in sales, you can have the best program in the world. It doesn't matter. It does not yeah. matter. Um, it is very, very true. I always say that the best coach doesn't get the sale. The best salesperson does, right? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your business. So you're helping health coaches, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, what do you think are the main uh, problems that they face when they come to you that, you know, the main roadblocks 
you know, as the reason why their business is not working. Yeah, I think a big thing is they go to health coaching school, they invest all this money in their certification, sometimes like five, $10,000, but they don't actually get any business training. And they don't realize that, oh, I, oh, shit, like, I need to get just as much training in business as I do in health, mm-hmm. right? And so then they get into this mindset, well, I just spent all this money on this health coaching certification. So they're not willing to invest in their business, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're doing what I was doing, just trying to figure it out on their own. And like, you know, DIY it, like hack job it together and hoping that it's going to work. And oftentimes when they really start to figure like, okay, this isn't working. I need to do some, I need to do something else. I need to figure out how to do this. They will often invest in more health certifications. They're like, okay, I I just, I need to know more, right. I need more letters behind my name. I need to get board certified, or I need to do this training in advanced hormones or whatever, when really what they need is just one health certification. That's all you need. And then they need to start investing in, in business mentorship mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. Right. So I think that's a big thing. I think there's some imposter syndrome from that. And, mm-hmm. um, because I think what they're, they're hoping to get from that is confidence, right. But confidence is not the first thing to come when you're doing something new, it comes later. Right. And the only way to get confident is to work with clients. And that's what makes you a good practitioner. Right. It's not all the education you have. It's actually working with clients and getting them results. So there's a lot of I think with health coach, I think with all coaches, there's a lot of mindset stuff that we have to work through in the beginning because there's that. And then there's also the money mindset stuff. Right. There's something that I think feels icky about taking money from people who are suffering. Right. And they don't realize that it's just this really beautiful energetic exchange, right? Um, That investment is so important for the person who's sick, right? It's this energetic exchange. It's this commitment to their self. And without it, they probably won't do the work or be committed or care. So it's actually really important. But coaches are always like, oh, I just want to help people. I don't want to take people's money. I don't think they can afford this. So they undervalue and undercharge. And then they end up burning themselves out or just being fucking broke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's so true. You, you definitely know your niche very well. Um, <laughs> so what's your process? How do you help these people when, when they decide to work with you? Uh, and also if someone wants to work with you, like what, what's the process that you follow to, you know, to really help them with their business? Yeah. So I recommend that everyone starts with my program, Health Coach Accelerator. Um, And this is sort of my foundational business program uh, for coaches who want to learn how to market themselves online and book out their program without a website and without paid advertisement, right? Because ads are expensive. They're also a bit of a shit show (laughs) these days. I mean, they're, they're really hard. So Um, essentially what we do is we help them get their messaging and their communication really clear so that the people who they want to help actually know they can help them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we help them build, I help them build or help build them a sustainable business model, right? Like Mm -hmm. stop trading time for money, no more selling one-off sessions. Like we create the experience, right. The signature program that allows not only them to make money, but actually gives them an amazing chance to get these people real results, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. working with them for longer. And so we go through that. We teach them how to sell without feeling slimy, inauthentic, gross, right? Like I don't do those fear-based selling tactics, right? And I know coaches don't want to do that either. So we essentially get their business up the ground. We, uh, We organize it. We work on niching, communication, marketing, selling, and, um, yeah, get them enrolling their first clients into their program. 
So they are already um, health coaches or they're also for people that are wanting to get into health coaching? Yeah. So the program would serve, sometimes we have people who are still in training, right? It'll serve them. Sometimes we have people who are brand new and never had a client. Uh, We have a lot of people who are doing okay in their business, but they're burning out, right? Because they're trading time for money. They have no idea how to market themselves online. And, you know, typically maybe they're not clearing 5k a month or maybe they're barely clearing that. So we kind of have, usually we're like zero to three years in business for the program. Mm, Okay. And so what's your timeline of working with you? How long do you work with them and how does it work? Yeah. So health coach accelerator is 90 days. Um, but a lot of people will stick around for longer because they can renew a membership at the end of that. Um, because yeah, 90 days kind of gets them started. It, It basically gets their foundation in place. It gets their marketing framework so that they know what to do and they just need to execute it. But oftentimes coaches will stay, um, in the membership longer just to be able to access support yeah. and uh, get help with the integration implementation. Yeah. One, one question mm-hmm. I want to ask you, because you obviously have online courses, so you're big on mm-hmm. that. Um, what do you think when a coach says, oh, but my coaching doesn't work on online course for my coaching because it has to be personalized, it has to be one-on-one. What do you say to when someone comes with that objection? Yeah. So I used to work with, um, like do one-on-one coaching with new coaches. And I really didn't feel like that type of container served new people that well, because there's a ton of stuff they need to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just felt like they needed a course. Right. And if I was to work one-on-one with people now, I would still put them through a course and then we do one-on-one for coaching. Right. Because there, there are some very immutable laws of marketing that everyone needs to know. Right messaging, communication, sales, right? So important visibility, like those things are pretty much the same. Um, but I don't believe in a one size fits all approach. I've never been a big fan of that. So that's why I make sure in my programs to include a lot of group coaching and a lot of support and opportunities to get my feedback because there are always nuances and everyone is a little bit different, but I think from a foundational perspective, like everyone needs like the same basic framework and without that in place, the personalization doesn't even make sense. Yes, yes, no, mm-hmm. it makes total sense. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are listening to this and they're like, guys, this is all beautiful, but I'm not Tony Robbins and being graciosi with the KBB method. I don't, I don't have any audience and I know my stuff because I'm a health coach and I really know my stuff, but I don't have audience. What would be your advice to that person? Start building it. <laughs> Um, I mean, it takes time to build an audience. So, I mean, I tell certain people who come to me, they're like, well, I'm still in health coaching school. I'm like, you can still start building your audience because that takes time. Right. And that's something that we teach people inside health coach accelerator, right? We help them, uh, build their audience on social media, build their email list, but there really isn't a better time to start than now. And I would say, even if people are relatively new or they're still in school, just start sharing your story on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And start building up those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful. You had to start somewhere. And you see, we mm-hmm. come from a from a school of starting directly with the ads and we burned a lot mm-hmm. of money with that. And it's been very painful yeah. and very frustrating. What do you think about any ads? Uh, what's your opinion? What's your view on that? Do you do ads yourself? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I run ads, but ads don't, won't fix like a broken business or a broken funnel. And I think when people see things not working, they're like, oh, I just need more traffic. And so they want to go straight to ads, but you need those foundational pieces in place first. And that's why we don't, I don't recommend ads right off the bat because we need that infrastructure in place first, Mm -hmm. because if the funnel's broken, the ads won't work. And then you're just going to be wasting a shitload of money. Right. But I think there is a time in business for ads. Some people don't need it. Some people do really well with organic and they crush it and other people need ads. Um, But I believe that your paid traffic and your organic traffic has to work together. You're never going to just be able to run ads and not have, not be posting on social media, right? Mm -hmm. People are always going to check you out on social media. They want to see your content. So I'm a big fan of like making it all work together in an ecosystem so that the organic content supports the paid content and the paid content supports the organic. So if you had to identify, I don't know, three or few few things that are indispensable to grow a business and, you know, take it from, you know, just barely breaking, you know, 5K to growing mm-hmm. it to six figure, what do you think are the main pillars to, to really look at? Yeah, so I would say um, niche, yeah. mindset, um, having a really strong offer, right, that is incredibly curated to your niche and the problem that you solve for them. Um, learning how to sell. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would say, um, I would say visibility, right. Figuring out how to get out in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Visibility. Yeah. Also like JVs do like join yeah. and stuff like that. Sometimes it can be a very powerful tool. That's very powerful, very powerful. Last, I got my last five questions that I really love to ask all the time. Are you okay. up for them? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> okay, the first one, Kendra, is if you were to write a sentence on a giant billboard that the entire world can read, what would you write? Mm. Oh, let me think about this for a second. It may be a bit cheesy, but I think I'd just say I believe in you. Simple, but powerful. I like Mm -hmm. it. I like it. If you could spend five minutes with a 16 years old version of yourself, (laughs) what advice would you give? I'd say nothing that is happening now matters. (laughs) I love it. Get get out of your head and just... Yeah. High school is a rough time. You're like, it's the end of the world. So true. We tend to get always yeah. in our head and they make it like our problem is the biggest problem in the universe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. What is success to you? <sighs> success. I think success to me is being incredibly, having the most fun possible, right? Because mm-hmm. I love my business. I'm a bit obsessed with it. I love working on it, but really the reason why I do it is to spend time in the mountains. So when I'm spending, you know, four days a week in the mountains with friends, with beautiful views, then I feel like that is success for me. Oh, yeah. I love it. So awesome. What is the best advice you ever received from someone? Um, it doesn't have to be hard. And sometimes it can just be easy. I think we make things really hard and complicated for ourselves when oftentimes 
there's a very simple solution. It's very deep. That's very good. Okay, before my last question, Kendra, where people can find you online and if they want to work with you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, the best place to learn about or get in touch with me is Instagram. That's where I hang out. Um, I answer all my DMs. My handle is just at Kendra Perry Inc. I also have a podcast. It's called the Wealthy Coach Podcast for anyone who wants to be successful as an online coach. And you can also head to my website, which is just KendraPerry.net. Great. Amazing. Okay. The last question I want to ask you is what is the impact that you want to make on others? Okay. So what I, I believe that, um, health coaches are the key to shifting collective consciousness in the world. Okay. Cause when people are sick and they feel like shit, um, they don't do great things with their lives. I don't think they treat people well, and I don't think they treat themselves well. Right. And I think they're lacking that sovereignty that people really need. And so I think health coaches have a really important role in the world. And I think what they do is they empower people, right? They empower people to be sovereign beings and take responsibility for their health and feel amazing and do amazing things with their lives. And the earth right now, I feel like the collective is so sick. Right. Um, and so that's kind of what my mission is, is to empower health coaches so they can be a part of shifting the collective consciousness of the world. I love it. It's a beautiful mission and a, and a really good vision that you have. Kendra, you share some really, really powerful uh, knowledge, an amazing story. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, yeah, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you.